0: Everyone and Welcome to the Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is episode 61. My name is Michael Bradley, and joining me is my friend and yours, Mr. Charlie Niemeyer.
1: <coughs> Hi, guys. Excuse me.
0: Welcome to the show, folks! <laughs> Yay! This episode, we'll be looking at the eighth storyline from the Superman radio show. Uh so how you doing, Charlie? Besides sick?
1: <laughs> well yeah, I'm I'm fighting something, but yes, I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Uh,
0: not too bad. Um, I looked we talked last time you were here about um me looking into other things that Bud Collier had done on the radio to mm-hmm. try and gauge his voice a little better. And mm-hmm. I actually found some shows, some episodes of uh The Guiding Light that he was the narrator on. I think they were from the 50s wow. uh, but, but I neglected to send them to you So you could listen to them So I'll have to do that before we record again And, and, and you can listen to them um, But he, he sounds he, he doesn't really sound like Clark Kent in those But he doesn't really sound like Superman either I guess it's closer to Superman The, the tone wise But with more of the inflections
1: of Clark Kent So like Super Kent
0: Super Kent. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. But um I will I will send those to you and I'll try to find some some stuff that he did around the time he was doing Superman because like I said those I think were from the the 50s. Okay.
1: and the early 40s like we're in now, but but it was Thanks. interesting. Cool. <laughs> I didn't know he Oh, it was it was guiding light a radio show then or was it on TV by that point?
0: No, Guiding Light started out as a radio show
1: and then it moved to TV so was it still a radio show when he was narrating it yes
0: oh yeah okay yeah these are radio episodes yeah yeah
1: okay wow (laughs) weird and now folks it's time for who do you trust hubba 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 money 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 who do you trust me i'm giving away free money and where
0: is the batman
1: Okay, let's try this another way. Where's Bruce?
0: People need dramatic
1: examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol... As a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting... Let me guess, giant
0: menacing supernatural form. Kinda like a bat. Every punk in this town is scared stiff. You know what they say? They say he can't
1: be killed. They say he drinks blood. There's nothing mere about that mortal. Who... who are you? I'm your worst nightmare. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his but i do know when we need him and we need him now where are you here go <laughs> legends of the batman everything batman from the beginning available at batmanlegends.com
0: Alright, so this episode we are looking at the 8th storyline from the radio show, like I said. Uh, it was 6 parts long, episodes 40 through 45, and it ran May 13th through May 24th, 1940. Action Comics number 26, which I looked at last episode, came at, or likely came out the day uh, before this story ended. The Sunday newspaper strip was continuing that long storyline that we'll be looking at next episode, finally.
1: Yay!
0: The, <laughs> the, the Daily Strip was kicking off a brand new storyline That will be in an upcoming episode And our
1: title is Buffalo Hills As our story opens today Kent has returned from Bridger Field After solving the mystery of the wrecked airplane And is about to pick up a new assignment He is in the private office of City Editor Perry White of the Daily Planet And White is staring at him across the desk in some surprise Listen As the episode begins, Clark is in Perry White's office, and they talk about Buffalo Hills, which sounds a bit like Mount Rushmore, but instead of faces in a mountain, it's large images that have been carved to depict the history of the pioneers. The big unveiling will take place in one week, and Clark is being sent to cover it. But this is mostly due to Buffalo Hills being in the state governed by Reform Governor Al Carson. He's been attacked three times in the last week, and Buffalo Hill's ceremony would be a prime spot for someone to try to assassinate him. As Clark is about to leave to set up travel plans and an expense account, Asa Hatch enters the office. Hatch is a well-known landscape photographer, a detective, and a foreign correspondent for the planet. Hatch comes in and asks both of them to look him over to see if he looks like someone that someone would want to kill. Apparently... Just a little while ago, Hatch had been shot at while trying to purchase tickets to Buffalo Hills. Fortunately, the shooter only managed to knock Hatch's hat off of his head, so he picked up his hat and headed straight for the planet to tell White. As he finishes his story, another bullet gets fired through the window of of White's office. Clark runs off while Perry shouts to the newsroom to call the police and then to not call the police. And believing that he can trace the bullet's trajectory, Clark changes to Superman and heads to a loft across from White's office. And I say across, I mean across the street. He lands on a short ledge and makes his way to an open window when he sees a rifle start to poke out through the opening. With no time to lose, he jumps off the building, then flies back and smashes through the window, Superman starts asking the sniper questions, and the sniper shoots at him. When this doesn't stop, Superman, a skirmish ensues, and the sniper accidentally shoots himself. As the police get closer to the room in response to the shots, the dying sniper mentions, They sent me. Flores. Carson. Get Hatch. Flores. Before he finally passes away. Before the police can get into the room, Superman takes off out the window and flies back to the planet building. Back in White's office, Clark returns and brings White and Hatch up to speed. Hatch figures that the Flores that the sniper mentioned is Pete Flores. A, uh, and I didn't read here, but he's a gangster. Before he can go on and not the gangsta rapper guys. Uh, before he can go on, someone brings word to White that Carson has just been in a head on collision. He's survived, but Hatch believes that a trip to Buffalo Hills would be anything but dull and quite a bit like the Fourth of July.
0: Two days later, Clark and Asa are on their way westward via train. At a way station, Pete Flores and his flunky Dutchy Gan wait with a suitcase containing a bomb for the train to pass. Flores explains that they have to take care of Asa and Clark so that they don't interfere with their plans against the governor, which are to go down at midnight. As the train arrives, Flores tells Gan to ride the rods, fix the bomb under car 384, and then get off at Highland Falls and meet him again at Boulder City. The train soon continues on, and Asa and Clark chit-chat until Clark thinks he hears a strange noise coming from underneath the train. Asa thinks it's nothing, but Clark makes an excuse that he's going out for a smoke and goes to investigate as Superman. He quickly finds Dutchy and realizes he's doing something else besides simply going along for the ride. Leaping off as Superman, he circles back around, and eventually pulls Dutchy out from underneath the train. After some Superman-style convincing that he should talk, Dutchie explains that Flores had put, had him put a bomb under the train, and that he's after Governor Carson. Apparently, just leaving Duchy in the middle of nowhere, Superman then speeds off and catches up to the train that has just left Highland Falls. With just seconds to spare, Superman is able to tear the bomb loose and throw it into the river where it explodes harmlessly. Clark soon rejoins Asa on board the train and asks if Flores would have anything against him or Governor Carson. When Asa answers in the affirmative, Clark says that when they arrive in Boulder City, they should pay a visit to the governor and let him know what happened back east.
1: Uh, in the governor's mansion Carson and his secretary Keegan discuss how Carson will take down Flores and his men no matter what Flores threatens to do as Carson goes to bed Keegan calls Flores who threatens to kill Carson at midnight Flores also warns Keegan of Clark and Hatch's arrival telling Keegan to take care of them before they can talk to the governor outside the gate Clark and Hatch arrive to discover the gate is locked but there aren't any guards Clark has Hatch look for another way in. Before he can force his way in, someone comes up with a blackjack to take down Clark. Clark just takes the guy and throws him at the gate, which knocks the guy out and breaks the lock. With a little extra force, Clark then opens the gate and hides the man's unconscious body behind some bushes before Hatch can arrive. When Hatch does come back, he tells him that it must not have been locked since all he had to do was push on it and the gate opened. They then proceed up to the house and are met by Keegan, who pretends to not recognize Keegan and sends them away. Hatch then figures that since Keegan doesn't seem to be worried about them seeing Carson the next day at the ceremony, that must mean Carson will be killed that night. So they try looking for another way to get to Carson, but are discovered by some guards. Clark and Hatch try to convince the guards that they are friends of the governor, and so the guards take them around to the door where Keegan states that he's never seen them before. Well, wow, I hit the mute button The guards take them around to the door <laughs> Where Keegan states that he's never Seen them before in his life So the guards try to rush Clark and Hatch To the wagon to get them to prison But Clark escapes at super speed Leaving Hatch to go to jail alone
0: Time is nearing midnight And the episode begins with Clark in jail Our next episode begins with Clark in jail It seems he decided to Turn himself in in hopes of breaking himself And Asa back out again Unfortunately, Aza has been been put in solitary confinement. Clark, meanwhile, is stuck in a cell with a guy named Monty, who mistakes him as a member of Flores' gang, who Flores was to send in to help him break out. Clark plays along in hopes of getting information about Flores' plans. The ruse works, and Monty lays out the plans that they're going to start a fire in their cell and make a jailbreak in the ensuing chaos. They will then hop into a waiting car and head to the governor's mansion, where they'll meet Dutchie and help him to abduct the governor. Monty sets fire to the mattress, and soon the entire place is filled with smoke. Clark is able to use the smoke for cover, and after knocking out the jail guard, crashes through the wall into the prison yard and takes flight as Superman, leaving Aza and Monty behind. Seeing Monty was right about the waiting car, Superman pours on the speed and quickly arrives at the governor's mansion. As Clark, he climbs into the house to the window and warns the governor of Flores' plot. As the clock chimes midnight, the governor calls for guards, but just then... Clark sees a car approaching the the mansion. With the governor still not wanting to heed his warnings, Clark knocks out the governor and stuffs him into the closet. Clark then turns off the lights and climbs into bed, taking the governor's place, and plays along as Dutchie and his men jump him, and soon Clark is stuffed inside a bag and being driven in a car. The men talk about how Flores was to be back at the mansion looking for papers, and the car soon stops on a bridge and the men toss Clark into the water below. Superman easily escapes the bag and leaps into the air, heading back to the mansion in order to stop Flores and protect the governor. Faster than a speeding bullet, Superman arrives back at the mansion and checks on the governor, but is surprised to find the closet empty.
1: Superman is still running around the mansion when the next episode begins, looking for Carson. Hearing footsteps, he hides behind some curtains in, I guess, the governor's room.
0: I think it was the bedroom, yeah.
1: Yeah. At this point, Governor Carson and Hatch enter the room, but Carson spots Clark behind some curtains. After Clark apologizes for what he did to the governor last episode, they bring each other up to speed. Clark summarizes the end of the previous episode about being taken by Dutchie and a friend, but fudges the story a little to avoid having to explain the whole murder attempt and getting out of the water, etc., etc., Carson then explains to Clark that after he regained consciousness, he started yelling, which got the attention of a guard who freed him. He tried calling the police, but the wires were cut. So he went down to the police headquarters in person and saw Hatch being questioned. After getting Hatch out of jail, both men returned to the mansion, and that's where they found Clark. Carson thinks that with this latest failure in attempts to kill him, things are over. But Clark, who heard Dutchie talking earlier, believes that there are more plans. Clark and Hatch try talking Carson out of appearing at the Buffalo Hills ceremony, but he won't hear of it. Then a lieutenant shows up with orders to take Carson to the monument immediately to meet the colonel. Clark and Hatch try to talk him out of it, but he refuses to listen. In return, he tells them that they don't need to go, but they insist. As they all prepare to leave, Carson thinks he spots someone at the other end of the corridor, but no one else sees anything. Then the narrator comes in and reveals that there was someone in the corridor Keegan. He overheard the earlier conversation and snuck down to the lieutenant's car to hide a small object in the back seat, which would do its work, unnoticed, just as they get up into the mountains. Moving ahead to them getting into the mountains, Hatch and Carson start drifting off. Yeah, Carson. Hatch and Carson start drifting drifting off to sleep. Soon, the lieutenant also starts drifting off to sleep, and the car goes right through a guardrail and off the road. Clark leaps out, changes to Superman, and flies down to catch the car, after letting it tumble a few times, then flies it back up to the road. Soon, everyone wakes up to see that Clark is now driving, but the car doesn't sound so good. At this point, they arrive at their destination and see that it That there is a light on inside So they knock on the door But there's no answer Believing that something is wrong The men bust down the door To see the colonel asleep at his desk But upon closer inspection He isn't asleep He's dead
0: The final episode begins Sometime later It's the morning of the dedication They have forgotten all about the dead guy And Clark and Aza plead with the governor Not to participate in the ceremony
1: I'm sorry, that's funny
0: (laughs) Well, they didn't even mention him again After the end of the fifth episode Yeah, yeah But despite their warnings And the strange occurrences of the last few days Which I guess includes the the dead guy uh, The governor says there's no reason to be worried And that he must be a part of the historic dedication Meanwhile, though, in a tunnel in the cliff above the Buffalo Hill's carvings, Flores sets dynamite charges in the rocks. When the explosion happens, the cliff will fall right onto the governor and the crowd below. Higher in the mountain are other explosives that will start a rock slide, and then the avalanche will trigger the closer explosives, making it all look like a big accident. The plan is for Flores to set things in motion, and then he and Dutchie will jump into a waiting car and make their escape, in all the commotion caused by the avalanche. Back down the mountain, Clark and Aza look for trouble but come up empty as the governor walks onto the platform to begin the dedication. Clark spots a car up on the cliff, and realizing it was the same one they used to kidnap him earlier, slips away to investigate as Superman. He recognizes Duchy and yanks him from behind the wheel. Not wanting to suffer another round of the Superman-style interrogation, Duchy spills the beans on Flores's plot. Superman flies after Flores, but it's too late to stop him from pulling the switch and exploding the dynamite. As an avalanche of rock careens down the mountain, Superman plants himself on the mountainside and uses his muscles of steel to shatter boulder after boulder and deflect the rest down the other side of the mountain, saving the crowds below. Clark then rejoins Asa below, who tells him about the rock slide and how, while they couldn't see why because of the dust, something diverted the slide and that no one was injured. As the governor tells Clark the rock slide couldn't possibly be blamed on Flores, Asa remembers that someone was hurt. The car that was up on the cliff ended up right in the path of the diverted rock slide and was crushed. Clark assures the governor that Flores will never be able to touch him now, and Clark and Asa head off to send Clark's story and Asa's pictures back to the paper. Once again, Superman has served the forces of law and order, rescued the champion of good government in the heart of Buffalo Hills. The End
1: Yay.
0: (laughs) Very exciting, wasn't it? Yes. each week on the 20 minute long box i submit myself to the powers of randomness and review a title from my collection completely at random and all within 20 minutes it's the super compressed podcast for the decompressed written for trade age join me steve Lacey, each week at 20 minutes or find me on itunes cast this time we had bud collier obviously as superman and clark kent and julian noah as perry white i am not completely certain who played the rest of the characters but it sounded like a lot of the show regulars just in new roles Uh, to me it sounded like arthur Vinton as both dutchy gan and monty clark's cellmate it sounded like ned weaver as a the hatch and then Julian Noah as Governor Carson and possibly Keegan as well, but I could be wrong on that because there was one scene when the Governor and Keegan
1: were talking to one another, so yeah, they didn't allow that back then to have the same guy talking to him himself
0: well it be difficult,
1: yeah
0: <laughs> uh, but we had no Lois and Jimmy in this story, which I, I'm kind of glad we 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 had a break from Jimmy um. not not seeing him until the sixth episode or the sixth storyline when he was supposed to be there the whole time it makes a little more sense that he wouldn't appear in every story thereafter and and I can't believe I'm going to say this but I'm I'm actually missing Lois though I I, I don't think she'll be back until the storyline after next but we haven't seen her for a few storylines and she's just kind of a a major part of the, the mythology to me and it's even as much as I dislike her personality in this era, you know, I, I kind of miss having her there, oh, but...
1: You don't like her in this era? Well... <sighs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You've hidden it well, though. Okay. I
0: mean, <laughs> she's just very...
1: Annoying? That's one way to put it. Yeah. A word that rhymes with itch, but can't say it on a family-friendly show
0: she's very crazy. There you go. She's she's crazy and we'll move on. Uh, (laughs) uh, As good as anything else. Yeah. But to get into the notes, uh, my first note was you you actually (coughs) hit on it in your synopsis, but uh, Buffalo Hills is described as giant sculptures of the pioneers carved into the mountainside and uh, later they actually called it a national monument so You know, my thinking, too, was that this was very likely inspired by Mount Rushmore. Uh, I looked up the history of Mount Rushmore, and it was under construction at this time and nearing completion as far as how it looks today. Um, Roosevelt's head was dedicated on July 2nd, 1939.
1: This is the second or third?
0: His is the third from the left.
1: Okay, so that means that the first two were already done? Probably. Okay.
0: Yeah. I don't know what order they did them in, but... Um, oh. Well, yeah. Point. Yeah. But um, it was, like I said, it was nearing completion as far as how it looks today, because they stopped working on it in 1941, I think, because they ran out of funding, because originally it was going to show their heads and, and bodies, like, down to their waist, mm-hmm. and then they had to stop working on it because they ran out of funding. You can find pictures online of the original... They did, like, a two Or three times size model of it mm-hmm. to show in, in it of the completed thing before they uh-huh. actually started carving the real thing. And uh, but you can find photos of that online, it's kind of neat, but
1: weird. Yeah. cool. I have to look that up. Well, for some reason, I've written that Hatch reminds men, but I meant me. Hatch reminds me of the scientists that we encountered in that first yellow mask arc, but with a bit more caffeine and a bit I can more see rude.
0: That. Yeah,
1: yeah kind of the uh just kind of keeps talking and doesn't mind repeating himself several times.
0: Yeah, he might had have
1: been, a, might have had the same voice actor too, which could be part of it. I'm not could sure. Could
0: be, yeah. I, I kind of liked him in this episode. He he had a real eccentric personality. He was, you know, kind of babbling on and nonsensical and <laughs> and misunderstanding things they say because he's you know, he's not full of himself, but he's he's just consumed with what he's saying and not really Paying attention, I thought that was kind of fun.
1: He he did get kind of annoying though, because he's he's going in a very roundabout way of explaining why he's there. Yeah, Perry's yeah. T- trying interrupting him, trying to get him to tell him. Okay, so why are you here? He's like, Well, I will, but my, my hat. Stop. Ter- yes, stop yeah. interrupting. Miss. Stop interrupting, Perry. I'm trying to get to it. Right. And it's like, well, you know, if you just get to it, he wouldn't interrupt. But whatever. Yeah. He, he wouldn't listen to me back then, so.
0: He kind of lost some of that personality after the after this episode, though. and He became more uh, a yeah. plainer character. A little more
1: straightforward. Right. Maybe a little bit when they were talking to Keegan, but yeah. After the first episode, he kind of lost that.
0: Yeah. I, la- <laughs> I got a laugh, though, that he was uh, more concerned with himself getting shot being a news story than actually going to the police
1: about it. <laughs>
0: because yeah, if, if you got shot at, I, I would hope that you would go to the police
1: before you went
0: to... Your friend, the, the newspaper, newspaper editor, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, it'd be, I'd be. I put it on Facebook first. You can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Omg, got shot.
1: <laughs> yes, no, that'd be on Twitter. Facebook would be like, oh my gosh, it just got shot at. Yeah, watch the news tonight. You might see me on the my face. Omg, just got shot. Hashtag ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag attempted murder. Yeah,
0: it cracked me up though when when Asa asked Perry how long before he went to bed. And Perry replies, "Me or the paper?"
1: Yeah, that was yeah, that was pretty good. Um, now I have a question. Um, Asa says something about arriving in the metropolis. Does that count as this being named Metropolis?
0: Well, he not says he says I arrived in this metropolis of yours. Uh, metropolis is a term that can be used for a big city, and not necessarily as the name of a city. I mean, you can call Chicago a metropolis. Mm -hmm. So, and it was, I think it was used that way a lot in this era that the radio show came out. And I think that that's kind of, kind of how I took it that he was using it here. But either way, this is the first time they've used that term on the show. Right. Because we still don't know what the city is, that Superman or where the daily planet is. As far
1: as the radio show is concerned anyway.
0: Well, right, right, right. As far as the radio show is concerned. Um, which I just find incredibly weird. I don't know why they haven't named it.
1: Well, you know, it doesn't really matter because they haven't been there that much. <laughs> right. Every other story, they're flying out west.
0: I had a note about that with the next episode. I'll uh, we'll um, go ahead and do it now. But they just spend an awful lot of time traveling on this show. I mean, a good number of the stories have been out west, and I, I don't know what that was about.
1: And, and Clark just gets back from Bridger Field, which is out in the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Comes back and now he's going out to Boulder City, which to me makes me think that there that's a different name for Boulder. So I'm thinking Colorado area with the mountains. Could be in any event, it is mountains. So and if it's taking that long to get there by train, I'm thinking Rocky Mountains, right? So it's like, oh, stupid bad they couldn't call Clark and just have him fly up from Bridger Field. There's planes there and everything, right?
0: Now, there is a real Boulder City in Nevada. Oh really? Yes.
1: Are there mountains there?
0: I don't know. Oh, okay. Probably not many, being Nevada, but <laughs> uh, I could be wrong. I've never been to Nevada. Hey, me either. I'm looking on Wikipedia or Google,
1: but well, while, while you're looking that up, matter. I'll just while you're looking that up, I was just going to point out to you that um, I think in all the episodes we've listened to so far that Hatch is probably the first one to, on the show to give Perry White any kind of crap. It's just, everyone else is usually, yes, Mr. White, right, Mr. White, and this, oh, okay, first person on the good guy side to not give Perry White crap. <laughs> put it that way.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It it seems like he's the first one we've seen that's been kind of a peer to Perry White. Because exactly. the rest of them are like Clark or... Lois, who are a younger generation, or, or working for him, or what was the Elsie Beecham came to visit, mm-hmm. you know, and her dad was a friend of Perry's, so she would say Mister White, you know, that's exactly understandable, but yeah, I can understand that.
1: And uh, I also noticed in this episode, we actually get to hear Clark changing his clothes as he switches to Superman for the first time in a while. Usually it's just been kind of voice changed, so he must be Superman now.
0: Oh, I missed that. Where was that?
1: When he uh, when when he's, gets the bullet? Or get the yeah, sugar? when he's yes, when huh. he's leaving Perry's office. You can even actually hear the shuffling of the clothes.
0: Oh, I missed that. I'll have to re-listen to it. That's a good catch.
1: Thank you. Now then, out of sight in the hall, I think it's time Clark Kent changed into Superman and did a little detective work. If that was a bullet, I know just about where it came from. Uh, out of these clothes up uh, uh, with a window, and out we go out and away but yeah i've been that 's one of the things that 's been annoying me the whole time is that it's just like i mean I know technically he has super speed so it can be that lightning quick, but this time we actually go back to he has to switch the you know switch to Superman and we actually hear it happening right. Instead of just the voice change to be the indicator?
0: Well, in the comics, they haven't really used the super speed transition at all that I can think of. They haven't really gotten there yet. Right. He just changes in the alley or goes home and changes And
1: <laughs> It's nighttime. Might as well go change to Superman.
0: I thought Superman tracing the bullet back to where it came from was pretty awesome. And I like that he did it by saying that it came from you know across the street and and below and not by... Using his super senses to say, my super senses tell me the bullet was fired from fifty yards away at approximately thirty degree angle. <laughs> you know, he he just said, "Okay, it's coming from over there," and then I'm sure he used a super or super eyesight or, or something to, to figure it out. But oh yeah, you know, it was. I, I just thought that was really cool that he was able to trace it back to where it, it,
1: came it was from. across and down. That was yeah. Pretty
0: cool. yeah, Uh Did you have anything else on episode forty? I don't. Okay. Uh, let's See. Episode 41, we, we are introduced uh, to Pete Flores, who is a guy with a Spanish surname and described in the opening narration as a Western bad man. And it sounds like he has a French accent.
1: Yeah, that, I was going to say it didn't sound like a Hispanic accent or a Spanish accent. I don't know what that was.
0: As the story goes on, like in the later episodes, it starts to sound a little more like broken Spanish.
1: Mm-hmm. but it's not a very authentic Spanish accent I don't think yeah um, Clark Kent went to the smoking car mm-hmm. and this makes sense um, it, it it makes sense as a well it's something to say to get out so you can change to Superman but also or excuse is the word I'm looking for uh, but it also makes sense for 1940 because the whole thing about smoking and the lung cancer and all that wasn't as much as well known so right. smoking was more casually accepted mm-hmm. so it makes sense for back then but from for someone that's all, you know listening to it now it's like blasphemy
0: <laughs> and we've seen sm-
1: we've seen smark
0: we've seen clark <laughs> smoking in the comics smoking a pipe at least twice
1: right yeah well yeah back in those days I and mean, heck bruce wayne smoked the pipe all the time
0: <laughs> bruce wayne uh, bruce smoked in like every issue up until, you know, the the 1941 or so, somewhere in there, I don't know exactly when he stopped, but every yeah. issue, you saw Bruce Wayne, he had the pipe in his mouth.
1: At least, there seemed, always seemed to be at least one scene where he was sitting there in his uh, smoking jacket with a little scarf and he had the pipe going, yeah. whether Dick was there or not. Yeah. So not only was he killing himself, but he was killing Dick as well with the secondhand smoke. <laughs> uh my next note is something else that uh cuz it's 1940 but uh, it, uh um the noise that they were hearing under the train car surely was mighty queer <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah. these days it's taking a different connotation so they yeah, use
0: that's just one of those things I've, of the
1: I noticed that... them use I noticed them use it quite a bit throughout this whole little story arc so mm-hmm. that was interesting
0: I think he's used that term earlier in earlier episodes as well. Probably, uh, but I could just be remembering this one. But
1: I even know, remember a comic story where he's where Clark's trying to take uh, invite Lois out for a date and says he knows he wants to take her to a gay place. Right, and it's just the connotation of the times.
0: <laughs> yeah, language evolves, and and you just have to understand that when it was written or mm-hmm. performed, it you know it. it it meant something different, so exactly. Uh, before they get on the train, though, I love—I really love that Flores mentions Chip Denali or Chip whichever it was—and Clark's involvement in that case.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's a real sense of continuity on this show, not necessarily how we think of it today, but it's more than just one unconnected adventure after another, like you know, typically in the comics of this time or even the newspapers. And it's just cool how they reference past stories to give you a sense that it's an ongoing narrative but they don't make them requisite to understanding, you know, this particular story.
1: Right, which is good since um unlike comic books or something, it wasn't exactly easy to go back and listen to old episodes cuz right. it was pretty much play it once and it's, you know, you won't hear it again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't
1: have- we're just we're just lucky that it's meant that they've survived enough to this point in time that we can hear it again again and talk about it.
0: Yeah, and we, yeah it's, we're very fortunate that as many of the Superman radio shows have survived as they have because uh, very few other radio shows from this time have a comparative number of episodes mm-hmm. that still exist because they just weren't saved. Um, Flores tells Dutchie to ride the rods on the train, and mm. I actually had to look that up Apparently, it means to hitch a ride on the, the braking mechanism that's underneath the train. It's one of the methods that hobos used in the late 1800s and early 1900s to, to travel on trains. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
1: Mm. Doesn't sound comfortable, but sounds like a good way to get going Apparently, somewhere.
0: Apparently, it was very dangerous because you risk getting under. If, you know, – you're jumping under the train, basically.
1: Yeah, and if you fall off, you're probably going at a pretty good clip that you're probably going to get, like, just smeared. Right, yeah. Um, When um, Clark goes to change to Superman, though, there's a nice vocal transition on that. Mm -hmm. It's not just mid-word, but it's mid-sentence. It's a slow, gradual thing over the course of a whole sentence. Yeah. It just sounded really cool. It wasn't just a sudden, you know, this looks like a job for Superman. It was... A slow, gradual. Ah, oh, that was just awesome.
0: Yeah, it's 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 hard to describe or, or replicate just the way he was able to do it as he was talking. You know, and it's not word uh-huh. by word. It's it's as he's saying the words, he's lowering his voice, and I I don't know how he did it.
1: Well, he was he was a professional. I guess so. Yeah. Mighty queer, if you ask me. I could have sworn there was someone under the car making an adjustment with tools. I wonder whether Superman should investigate. Huh. Wait. There it is again. And um, I thought that the scene from him flying out and the, and the whole action sequence was really awesome. And yes. I, could, I could visualize the whole thing playing out in on the animated series or... Maybe even Lois and Clark, or in a movie, I could totally visualize the whole thing. They did a good job with it.
0: Yeah, when he's, you, you can picture him kind of jumping off the back of the train and then flying alongside it and matching its speed and
1: mm-hmm. and, and looking lowering so you can see next to it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and looking over and and Dutchie's just sitting there. And
1: what the heck is that?
0: <laughs> if it had been, you know, Lois and Clark or the the Christopher Reeve movies, he probably would have had a uh, some sort of a uh, joke to. Yeah. <laughs> had vibrations, something like that. Yeah,
1: I uh, love that line.
0: Uh, to move on to episode 42, right at the beginning of this episode, this is kind of a personal note, but right at the beginning of this episode, you hear some clock chimes. And my grandparents had a clock in their house that would chime every quarter of the hour that sounded exactly like that clock.
1: Yes. My grandparents had one. My My parents had one. I think my aunt had one. So, yeah, that brought back a lot of fond memories too when I heard it. That was pretty cool. I have to say that after all the stories we've done, in which someone that is of some kind of importance that is a target to the main bad guy of the story, um, that Keegan, the uh, the governor's number two guy, is somehow in league with Flores. I know. You never would have guessed we've only seen that in every story so far <laughs> pretty Start, much
0: starting as far back as um, Michael with the
1: uh, uh, with the doctor that right. Hatch sounds like yes right. Mm-hmm. That's and so I was like wow well, that's a big shocker <laughs>
0: uh, I have a question though mm-hmm. how hard do you have to throw a man to shatter the metal lock on a gate
1: Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> apparently at least hard enough to knock him out.
0: And apparently not kill him. Maybe he was dead because, you know.
1: Well, we never do hear about him again. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that guy, though? Was he one of the guards? Probably, he's just a guy that shows up with the blackjack.
0: Probably a guard at the governor's mansion, yeah. Because
1: later. He's the only one outside the gate.
0: Right, because later in the, the storyline when Clark goes back to the governor's mansion after he breaks out of prison the governor says he's going to call guards so I assumed he had bodyguards on the premises Right. although so he calls for them and, and they never show up <laughs> that's that's two episodes from now but
1: <clears throat>
0: but yeah Clark does that and then he says that he just gave the gate a push and by a push he means he threw it you know he gave it a push with the guy's head yeah
1: yeah I like how he has to hide the body <laughs> in the bushes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that doesn't sound wrong at all.
0: I, one thing I liked about this scene here at the beginning of this episode, and the end of the episode, was that they were outside and they had like some cricket noises, you know, mm-hmm. for for some ambiance, which I appreciated. But they were very, very loud.
1: Yes, and it got annoying after about three, uh, two seconds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They, it was
1: just very helpful and it does add to the believability mm-hmm. but
0: rather than just a you know a random woman announcing a couple of doctor's names over the yeah <laughs> intercom for which just some or hospital ambiance
1: or just someone standing next to them going cricket 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 right <laughs> like our dog guys but um yeah I like that I also uh, based on <laughs> I thought it was funny based on uh, Keegan's reaction to Hatch and Clark. Hatch figured out exactly what was going on based on the fact that Keegan wouldn't let them in the house that night but said that they could talk to him tomorrow. Yeah. So I'm basically figuring Hatch is Batman. I'm Batman. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he he, –
1: Believe it or not, this is the first (laughs) official team-up of Superman and Batman. (laughs)
0: Hot on the heels of the World's Fair comic. There you go. Exactly, see?
1: And surprise to your listeners, and I'm <laughs> proud of been here for it.
0: Now he did fi- now that you mentioned that, he did figure things out kinda quick, didn't
1: he? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And especially with Clark being like completely oblivious to it when normally he's the one that figures stuff out way too quick. Yeah. Yeah. So basically in that one scene, Hatch was playing Clark and Clark was playing Jimmy, I guess. It was kind of weird.
0: Could be, yeah. But then Clark, the the police show up and uh, and put them under arrest, and Clark runs off and leaves Asa behind, <laughs> which might be our first instance. Well, not our <laughs> – it's hardly our first instance, but another instance of uh, super dickery.
1: Yeah, I also – I had to – I thought it was kind of funny because of the way Hatch was earlier. It just seemed like kind of funny that he'd end up getting arrested, and Clark just says, bye-bye. right. Now, before we go on to the next episode, though, I have a question. How, much time, how long does it take, do you think, to get from Metropolis or wherever to wherever this Boulder City is? Because we they said when we were in Metropolis, in Perry White's office, the ceremony was supposed to take place in a week. The next episode, it's two days later, and they're in the train. And it sounds like they're getting pretty close to Boulder City. Right But somehow between then and this episode The ceremony is supposed to take place the next morning Well So now I could understand Maybe if the train took that You know, took six days to get across the country It's just kind of weird Then again, it's mm -hmm. the radio show And they've never been that good with time But the fact that they actually are mentioning it Kind of doesn't help either Let me look something up real quick here Folks, he's Googling.
0: Let's say Metropolis is where New York City is.
1: Okay. A train leaves Metropolis going 45 miles per hour to the east. A train leaves Denver going 55 miles an hour and heading. Okay. Same according, direction.
0: According to MapQuest, <coughs> it would take about 28 hours to drive in a car. From New York to Denver, Colorado And I just picked Denver, Colorado As kind of a Approximate location of Boulder City
1: Okay, so that's right in the mountains. That's a little over a day
0: Well, yeah, 28 hours If you drove yeah. it straight through, yeah mm-hmm. So, I would I'll say it would take at least It would take at least a full day For a train in 1940 think the, I don't know how It's hard yeah. to say I don't know how fast trains traveled then And
1: Well, if it, if we can base it off Our first story of the show I believe that that one train was going about – that that train that Superman was trying to catch up to was going at about 90, and he was laughing at it going that slow.
0: Well, let's just say it, uh,
1: uh, let's Sorry, say I'm 24 you. hours.
0: Let's just say 24 hours. Okay. So if it was two days later, a day for the travel, yeah, you're right. There, there's a little bit
1: of wonkiness there. Mm-hmm. Not a huge deal. I was just curious. Well, wait, though.
0: A- no, because the ceremony was a week away, right?
1: Yeah, and this is the night before the ceremony when they go to talk to the governor, and they're saying that they're going to talk to the governor as soon as they get to town. Their train ride took like a week. <laughs>
0: hmm. Okay. <laughs> I
1: don't know. I'm just I I don't know. I don't, I don't I don't remember them, I don't
0: remember them saying that it was the night before the ceremony when they got there. I could be wrong.
1: Well, I, I think I, I, the, the idea end. was. Let me look at my. I'm pretty sure the idea was. That when Keegan said that he couldn't see them, that he can talk to them tomorrow for the ceremony. Hmm. Okay. Plus, if you go by till the end of the up till the end of the show, I believe that the they went to see the Colonel dead, and then after, from there they went to the ceremony, didn't they?
0: Uh, at the beginning of episode forty-five, it just said some time has passed. It was one of
1: those vague uh, things they do. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I'd have to listen but to But they it did again.
0: reference the strange occurrences of the last couple days. Mhm.
1: Hmm. Well, there's a thinker for us. Yeah. Listen to the we have to re-listen to the episodes, I guess, on that one, <laughs> Okay, well we're going to end the episode now, folks. We'll come back in the next episode. We'll bring you the second half of this thrilling discussion. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> episode think-
0: 43. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. It's a little frustrating that this episode opened with Clark in jail Since the last episode he ran off from the police Thank it, you It makes me feel like his running away was only done as a cliffhanger And I mean they've done that before You know They've had a fairly dramatic cliffhanger And then the next episode picks up with it completely resolved Like nothing happened The mm-hmm. most outrageous <laughs> example I can think of is when the, the ship exploded and then the next episode picks up with him already back in New York, or not New York, but Metropolis, or wherever, at the Daily Planet offices with the ship captain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So maybe I'm just expecting too much. I mean, maybe it's just part and parcel with the way the, the radio show is, you know, having to have five cliffhangers and basically an 80 minute story. But it's still a letdown when the cliffhanger is, you know, rendered moot so easily.
1: Yeah, I found that annoying too. And, and and it's not even a good it doesn't even make it sound good for Clark cuz I mean, he runs off making a, you know, making a big deal about him flying away to turn himself in. Right. If he wanted to try to get Ace out, he should have just gone to prison with him. That's still a cliffhanger. <laughs> They're going yeah. to prison. How are they going to save the governor now?
0: And they could have had a scene in there too that you know of of even if it was only a 2 minute scene of Clark realizing that he screwed up that he shouldn't have run away mm-hmm.
1: and you know then that was the other part that got me that he did it off mic yeah if he was going to do that he yeah that was annoying i th- i personally think that him and Asa going to jail would be a bigger cliffhanger because how are they going to save the governor now if they're in prison
0: right you're right that yeah that's a
1: i would think that'd be a bigger deal than Clark abandoning Asa to run off while Hatch goes to jail (laughs) that just is and yeah like you said super dickery it just seems it just makes him more I mean uh, just makes him look more super dickish yeah so I'm wondering why they put Hatch in solitary I have no idea they never explained it they just said and in,
0: maybe he was annoying to them like he was to you in the first episode. <laughs> I would love just... to
1: explain it to you but you're not lo- allowing me to talk. Now, look at me. Do I look like someone someone would want to kill? <laughs> it all started with a hat. <sighs> Lordy.
0: Uh, I'm I'm reminded of um Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant where, you know, he he goes through this big story and and all this and but I didn't come here to talk about that. I came here to talk about the draft. <laughs> nice. That makes sense if you've heard the song,
1: but probably. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, but then we have Clark back in jail finally, and he goes through all this big thing with Monty and you know laying out the plans and and who was pretty detail. trusting.
1: Monty's pretty trusting, yeah. Clark.
0: Well, he thought Flores was going to send in a, a a man. He thought Clark worked for Flores.
1: Yeah, but so. he the way Clark was acting, he didn't really have, I would, I would think you'd be a little concerned about it. The way Clark was like, really? And if (laughs) I was working for, and if I really was working for Flores, how would we have gotten out of here? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It'd be like, wait a minute. You're asking too many questions.
0: Yeah. But then after resisting arrest, which is a misdemeanor, in, I would say most States, now we have Clark escaping prison which is a felony and again leaving Asa
1: behind. Mhm. And go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just going to say he he later makes friends with the governor so I guess he gets, you know, a you know, forgiven.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say the fact that Clark escaped prison is never referenced again. Mm-mm. So I guess we have to assume that the governor cleared that up somehow, but I still would have liked to have I, I hate it when they do that. They introduce a, a dramatic plot element and they, then they never reference it again. Yeah. So, uh, but then <laughs> – I just read your next note. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but he goes back to the uh, the governor's mansion and uh, stuffs the governor in the closet for his nice. own good, continuing <laughs> the comic book incarnations long line of helping people in the absolute worst way possible.
1: Mm-hmm. knocking him out and throwing him in a small room. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and and then he impersonates the governor, and I'm thinking, you know, this really feels like a comic book story. Not necessarily in a completely bad way, though. I mean, some of that stuff is kind of fun, but these are the kind of things that Siegel did a lot in his stories, you know. Mm-hmm. Helping people, air quotes, helping people, <laughs> and then impersonating them, and no one's the wiser.
1: The only, All we were missing was how he uses his... Powers of of muscle control to change his face to look like the governor.
0: Right, because they have introduced that already in the in the stories. The the yeah, the comics. In the comics, mm-hmm. but in not the he, comics yes, yes, yeah, super yeah. muscle control.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's Go when ahead. he loses eventually. But apparently, when you're underwater, it sounds like you're on the other end of a phone call. Because <laughs> they dump Clark <laughs> into the water, uh-huh. and all of a sudden, it just I gotta get out of here now. What am I gonna do? I'll just get out of this and fly off. And it's up, up, and away. <laughs> uh huh. Uh
0: huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wanna say they've used that before too. Like, uh, when they when were he... at the, the, the Bridger, not Bridger Dam. Wow. When they were at the, uh, the town that no one could say correctly. Dyerville. Thank you.
0: Dyerville. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or Dyersville. <laughs> um, yeah, when he had to go, uh, on go, uh, hmm? get in the water to stop that barge or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Was that, um, was that
0: the Daredevil story?
1: Yeah, part of it was the there was a barge hit heading hit, for with an explosive on it. I think. Okay. But um, that could have taken out the bridge. Right. I won't okay. Say. Right. But um, yeah. When, I think when he was underwater, it did the same thing.
0: Yeah, and I think we complained about it there too. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's yeah. fun to make fun of because it's so weird. You're not Bart- gonna hear you. Yeah
0: Part of that is just They just didn't have The technology in 1940 To you know Do the fancy Sound effects Like they do
1: today But Well still though In the water You wouldn't hear anything So it's kind of hard Otherwise you So And maybe
0: Maybe that's the sound Of his inner monologue Maybe that's when He's Talking To himself Rather than talking out loud I don't know But he would think He would talk to himself A lot more that he does.
1: And not on the phone. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But that's all I had for that episode. Yeah, me too. Moving on to episode 44, I really didn't have many notes for this episode because it was... Me neither. It was mostly all exposition. <laughs> catching catching up... You know, the, the first two-thirds of the episode are just the Governor, Asa, and Clark catching themselves up on the events of the last four episodes and filling the listener in on stuff they didn't know till now which really to be honest
1: with you wasn't very much would this have been uh, it wouldn't have been a Monday would it this probably would have, been, would a, have been a Wednesday, Wednesday episode so. yeah hmm it's weird apparently there's seven N's in exposition by the way mm mm-hmm. mhm mm mhm and six X's <laughs> yes but only one E <laughs> only one E mm mm-hmm. mhm um let's see do I have what do I have oh okay so Clark is supposed to be looking or actually he's Superman at that point is supposed to be used looking for Carson you would think someone with all those super senses such as the telescopic vision that he uses later on could and, use and they, his they
0: specifically point out that he has huh? telescopic vision
1: exactly yeah. that he could use his you know combination x-ray I can see in the dark vision to see that Carson is not there
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah instead of, yeah Yeah, I kind of thought of that, too, but I just didn't make a note about it.
1: And then um, I thought it was interesting that Clark jumps out of the car, but he lets it tumble down. And you can actually hear it hit stuff while he's saying, well, it's got a steel body. It should be okay." As he's flying down to try to catch it, he waits until it gets into a clearing. Apparently it busts through a bunch of rocks and trees. (laughs) But once it's clear of that, then it's okay to catch it.
0: He likes to challenge himself. Yeah. It's nothing yeah. if you can just catch it. You have to wait till there's a severe threat of death before you actually catch the car.
1: Exactly. And then you fly down counting out how many feet you've got till it hits the the ground below and stuff. Yeah.
0: Right. Until the car hits the, the – of course, the first few times he tried that, you know, the, the car hit the pavement. He's like, ooh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: should have tried a little sooner. But, you know. <coughs> can't break an omelet without breaking a few eggs. So.
1: Exactly. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs either because you said you can't break an omelet, and that would be weird.
0: You're absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> I actually had a question about the that, though. Did mm-hmm. Flores or Keegan tamper with the car? Is that what made it fill the cabin, filled with carbon monoxide?
1: I think that was what that small object thing was. Okay. Something that put out either a knockout gas or carbon monoxide or something. And okay. it sounded like they had the windows down, so it really didn't affect them except for um, since they were in the back seat, Asa was getting tired. Uh-huh. But then when they got up into the mountains, apparently they said it was getting sharp. So I'm guessing that means cold. And so the officer, the police officer, rolled up, the lieutenant rolled up the windows, uh-huh. which made it easier for everyone to uh, be overcome by the gas. Right, except they Superman, don't, who doesn't. Yeah, and he's by. completely oblivious to it. Right. Yeah, which actually I thought was played pretty well, because it w- would have to have been carbon monoxide or something, because that's an odorless gas. Right. So that would that would work, and I think we just got to get a baldy for this. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, so it kind of – it actually I thought this was well done. I wish they had found the thing so they could explain it for the kids. But
0: or for the thirty-year-old men who are listening to these in two thousand and
1: twelve, yeah, <laughs> they're trying to figure out what the heck happened, right. Yeah, but uh, I thought it was pretty good the way they did it, where everyone and everyone was falling asleep, and Clark wasn't and had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting because yeah. it was lo- kind of like his power was working against him there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, moving on to episode forty-five, the the final episode in the storyline. I understand his point, but I think the governor is kind of dumb not to do extra security sweeps or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then again, he said they had extra guards around, and I realize we're in a heightened sense of awareness as far as our security is concerned these days than in 1940. So. You
1: know. <laughs> yeah, extra guards is probably like two.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Um. Let's see, do I have a note? I have, I, I actually wrote a note while you were talking, okay. so, but mine can be later, mine are both later. Okay.
0: Uh, but poor Dutchie, this is the second time he's been harassed by Superman in the storyline. He, he he talked a lot faster this time though, which is probably good since we're more than halfway into the final episode and we got to mm-hmm. start wrapping things up.
1: Exactly. We got a, a lot of stuff to write in this last little bit, so you got to talk fast, Dutchie.
0: Yeah. And I actually have a further comment on that that we we'll okay. get to in the overall notes, but um
1: uh-oh. Okay. Here's here's my thing. Uh Superman diverts the rocks, right? Right. And he diverts the rocks and ironically they hit the car. Mhm. So I'm wondering if we're supposed to take from that 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 was the only direction he could hit them in or if he did it purposely to take out Flores and Duchy,
0: I took it that was the only way he could hit them, because he said something about there being a uh, not a ravine, some some place over there that he was he was knocking them into that some kind of like okay, ravine is the only word I can think of, but that's not the word they. <laughs> use. Um, anyway, he, he yeah, I took it that that was the only way. Okay, but yes, Flores dies a, a victim of his own. Machinations and, and no one's the wiser because no one even knew he was there. <laughs> Except
1: for Superman, Yay. of course. Way to go, Flores. And we actually both have the same note on this one. Um, Clark talks in the Superman voice for a second. Yes. And everyone's the mayor. The mayor? Wow. The governor is like, who said that?
0: Yeah, I, I skipped over it in my synopsis because I couldn't get it worked in. But what happens is... When Clark comes back down the mountain, and he he talks to Aza, and Aza says everyone is all right, and then the governor comes over and and assures him that that Flores couldn't possibly be responsible for a rock slide, but then Aza mentions the car that was up on the cliff, and um, what's he say?
1: I don't remember. And good riddance to him or something like
0: that. Yeah, something like that. And then the governor says, who said that? Because he doesn't recognize the voice.
1: And he apparently uh, right. wasn't looking at Clark when he said it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it didn't, you know, didn't come from the same direction.
0: <laughs> this is a different person. I'm not Michael. I'm someone else. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then Clark just quickly changes the subject and, and I, I got
1: oh, to... Oh, oh, I was just kidding. Uh, I don't know what I was saying. That was just me. I had a frog in my throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: They seem to be playing Superman as more, more fallible, I guess. Then in the comics, in the very first episode, he mentioned something about the ledge being too narrow, or, or wanting it to be wider, I guess, and having to make sure he didn't fall off. And, and I, I kind of like those little bits, you know. I mean, he's not—he's not a complete moron, you know. But but they're putting in little bits of character like that that I, I that I really appreciate.
1: Mm-hmm. He's quick with his measurements, too. It's like, I wish they made these things a little bit bigger. It's six inches wide, 54 feet from the ground. It's like, wow. Yeah. The guy's got some awesome measurement things. I can't... I, I, work, I work at a call center where people have to give me measurements all the time. And people cannot... There's no one I have talked to as good as Clark was, right or Superman was, right there. Right. I get people saying that they live a mile and a half from a road, and they're a quarter mile. So... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but overall, I think they could have shaved an episode off the storyline, but it, it really didn't feel lopsided as some stories, and I, I, I liked this one quite a bit. It it wasn't really outstanding, but it, it wasn't bad.
1: Yeah. Which episode was it? Maybe the train one?
0: Oh. I, I, I got confused thought about they what you were asking been, no. right there for a minute. Yeah. Um, I don't think they could have plucked any one particular episode out. Maybe episode okay. five. But I think they could have just shaved a few minutes off of each one and shrunk it down to a five-episode arc. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. They, they seem to be stuck in this. We have to have six-episode storylines, or that one was three, I guess. But um, and that's you know that's what they wanted to do. And eventually yeah. we'll get different lengths and stuff. But right mm. now they seem to be wanting to start on a Monday and end on a Friday. So.
1: Like Solomon Grundy. <laughs>
0: Solomon Grundy want pants too.
1: Exactly. I, I would have tried that. saying that, but uh, that would make me cough. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, it just – pedestrian is a word that keeps getting stuck in my mind, but I don't want to use that word to describe this story because it's got disparaging con- you know, connotations. Like I said, I liked it, and I didn't have any major issues with it. It was just a little more grounded or, or maybe even common than a lot of the stories to this mm. point where we've had you know, the wolf and the yellow mask and these – over the top villains, or we've had, you know, Hagen last storyline who was making airplane engines melt.
1: Yeah, this is just the. Uh, I mean, not that it's a small story, but that someone's trying to kill a governor. But I totally see what you mean. I mean, that's one that police could take care of, or yeah. Dick Tracy could take care of, or any Green Hornet, anyone else on the radio at this point. Mm-hmm.
0: It didn't really feel like a comic book story, but it felt closer to a comic book story uh, of this time than most of the radio arcs to this point. But like I said, it was it was in a good way. Um, and now that I've said that, I kind of wish I would have phrased it better because it sounded a lot more condescending coming out of my mouth than I meant it to. But um, <laughs> Siegel, <laughs> Siegel had his strengths and weaknesses in his writings and, and – both made their way into Superman stories that I've covered to this point but this one felt like it was taking more from the good stuff rather than the not so good stuff and I I don't really feel like the radio show was intentionally taking things from the comics I mean more than likely it was the other way around but comparatively speaking they are using those as a springboard for story ideas I think
1: or they should be anyway
0: they should be right yeah so hopefully that makes sense Enough. I kinda like that Clark didn't know he really didn't know there was anything going on as far as the Flores plot until really part four. You know, you've got you've got all these things going on kinda behind his back and and time's ticking down to when it's gonna happen and Clark isn't even aware yet, so that was kinda neat. And yeah, it was it was really convenient that he just so happened to get stuck in the, in the cell with the one guy who could tell him everything. But but even then, he doesn't have the entire plan laid out for him. You know, he 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 knows about the abduction, but he doesn't know necessarily about the the explosion at the Buffalo Hills Monument. So even though he might know or, or strongly suspect that Flores is up to something, he doesn't know what or how to go about finding that out. So. And even in the last episode, it was just sheer chance that he recognized the car. So this storyline was very, very different in that respect. And I, I really liked that aspect of it.
1: Yeah, he was very lucky. Yeah. Did you actually? Because the governor was very lucky that Clark was lucky.
0: <laughs> yeah, but Flores couldn't possibly be responsible for a rock slide.
1: Hmm, no, no way in heck. Way. No. You can't control those things.
0: And you know, this is the second episode now where we've had a rock slide?
1: Yep. Second episode second, in a row. Second, sixth episode in a row, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, did you have any further comments about the storyline, or?
1: Uh, not really. I think you covered it.
0: All right. Well, these episodes have never been released officially.
1: Ooh.
0: Boo. Uh, it was adapted in text form in the June 1941 issue of Radio and Television Mirror.
1: Yay!
0: But unfortunately, I don't have that issue, so I can't tell you what, if anything, was cut out, and I won't be able to put scans on the website, but...
1: Boo. I'm having fun with this. Keep going.
0: I'm out of things to say now.
1: Dang it. Boo. <laughs> you are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe... The birth and
0: growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book, to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. iTunes, and at golden age superman.lipson.com every legend has a beginning okay let's get this show on the road gang
1: I'm Batman Superman. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two com.
0: Well, folks, I want to thank everyone for for joining me me this time. Charlie, thank you as always.
1: Oh, hey, thanks for having me.
0: Next week, especially thank you, because I know you're not feeling well today, and Yes. Yeah, I, I, having been sick recently, I, I know what that's like. But uh, next week we will finally be looking at the storyline from the Sunday strips that started out in March 1940. It's just 12 parts long, but when you only get one part a week, it takes a while to get through that. So, uh, but we'll finally be covering that next week, and Charlie should be back the episode after that. But
1: Yay.
0: Charlie, let them know where they can find you in the meantime.
1: Uh, let's see. I uh, do a show called Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by myself and J. David Weeder, and that covers, believe it or not, the Bronze Age of Superman from the 70s and early 80s, and that's at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, and that also gets posted on the supermanpodcastnetwork.com and supermanhomepage.com and is also on iTunes.
0: And J. David Weider is your trusting friend who is secretly evil and calls your enemies to tell them how to kill you. Pretty much, yeah. Just just making <laughs> sure. As, as for this show, everything you need to know can be found at the website at greatcrypton.com. Did you want to plug your appearances on John's show, or will those be oh, – Oh, sure.
1: Sorry. Uh, no, those – They should, in fact, I'm recording another one. <laughs> Wednesday. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm also on um, showing up on John Wilson's Golden Age Superman because I just can't get out of the Golden Age. Uh, basically, I'm a fan of Jack Burnley's artwork. He did some great artwork on Superman in the Golden Age, and you're darn right, he did. Darn tootin'. So I'm helping. I'm helping John cover some of the Action Comics issues that he did for a short time, uh, and so I'm appearing on. Actually, I guess it's regular episodes. Because it's every month So uh, he does his show just about monthly These days It's com And it also gets put on gets, Wow I put an SH in there It also gets put on Superman homepage And the Superman Podcast Network And iTunes as well
0: But like I was saying The, the site for this show is greatcrypton.com uh, There you'll find the RSS feed And the iTunes link As well as links to the show's Facebook and Twitter pages If you have questions or comments, uh, feel free to email me at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. Please don't forget to check out the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network. You'll find lots of awesome Superman-related content on both sites, uh, not to mention updates whenever this show or or Charlie has new episodes, so please check them both out. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and we'll talk to
1: you later. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. So are you guys going to go like stand on your roof and use your binoculars to watch the Super Bowl or are you just going to use the TV? Oh,
0: I'm not going to watch it. Ah. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not really that much into it. Sacrilegious. Yeah. If it was the Colts, I I would probably watch it, but only because it's the Colts. But, well, you can
1: pretend one of them's the Colts. They wear the same colors.
0: Yeah. And and there's a Manning playing quarterback, so See?
1: He's like he's like Peyton, but younger. <laughs> he's, he's
0: almost like Peyton, but <laughs> yeah. like, he actually played this year, so.
1: Yeah, oh, snap on the stair. Yeah, I went there. Mm-mm-mm.